Welcome to Season 2 of EdTech Insiders, where we talk to the most interesting thought leaders, founders, entrepreneurs, educators, and investors driving the future of education technology. I'm your host, Alex Sarlin, an EdTech veteran with over 10 years of experience at top EdTech companies. Dr. Deepak Sekar, co-founder and CEO of Professor Jim, is an inventor and entrepreneur. Over the last decade, he's been granted more than 200 patents, making him one of the most prolific inventors in the world today. He was also the founder and CEO of Chowbotics, which built the world's first fresh food-making robot. Chowbotics was named one of the world's most innovative companies by Fast Company and was acquired by DoorDash in 2020. When he's not coercing his family to test his latest invention, he's likely climbing a distant mountain. Professor Jim is a edtech startup designed to transform lessons into experiences, empowering publishers, educators, and creators to transform content into video-based learning experiences. Dr. Deepak, welcome to EdTech Insiders. Thank you, Alex. I'm glad to be here. I'm excited to have you here. So you have a fascinating background coming into the ed tech field. I have to just ask, from the 10,000-foot view, give our listeners an overview of your history and how you found yourself doing a really innovative AI-based ed tech company. So I'm an inventor by background. I've been an inventor on more than 200 issued patents, and a dozen of them are used in every iPhone. So a bunch of your listeners are probably using my patents on a daily basis. This is my second company. Professor Jim is my second company. With my first company, I got tired of cooking my food at home. And I started building a robot which made my own food. And that led to my first company. It's called Chowbotics. And it was acquired by DoorDash a year and a half back or two years back, I think. And after that, I started Professor Jim. And Professor Jim started largely because I saw my kids go through online learning during COVID. And it wasn't a great experience. And I figured, you know, hey, we should do something to make it better. And that's how I got involved with EdTech. I have a PhD in engineering. And so pretty familiar with education. I love teaching. So EdTech, even though I might not have worked in EdTech till a couple of years back, I'm pretty familiar with the education space after spending a whole lot of years in school. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the silver linings of the pandemic is that it brought a lot of attention to education and to ed tech, and it brought world-class minds into the ed tech field. And I think you are a prime example of that 200 patents, so many inventions. You are at Georgia Tech. You have so much knowledge in this field, and now you're applying it to this problem that all of us in ed tech are really interested in, how to teach at scale and how to make really amazing courses. So tell us a little bit about what Professor Jim does. Yeah, so our vision is to convert lessons into experiences, and we believe AI helps us do that. So our first product is something which I believe can change the world of textbooks, There's a lot of studies which indicate Gen Z prefers to learn through videos compared to reading textbooks. In fact, Pearson did a study in 2018 before even the pandemic where they found Gen Z folks were more comfortable learning through video than reading textbooks. And after the pandemic, things have just accelerated. So in this sort of environment, what 
we do becomes kind of relevant. What we do is we scan textbooks. If someone gives a textbook to us in e-textbook form or PDF form, we scan it and our AI automatically converts it into a teaching video, a video course. And so it helps us appeal to Gen Z with a lot of the content which has existed already. Yeah, and the, this video course both has slides that are generated automatically and an automatic AI-generated instructor who is actually delivering the content with a AI-generated voice. Tell us about what it feels like to watch a Professor Jim video. So a uh, Professor Jim video would have like an avatar teaching the course, uh, an AI avatar. And our AI avatars are pretty realistic. A lot of people have told us they don't realize it's an AI teaching the course. It, it looks like a real person. So we try to make it photorealistic as much as possible. And the avatar could be an avatar of the teacher teaching a regular course, or it could be a famous historical personality. Like we've got people like Aristotle and Jane Austen teaching a course. We have Ada Lovelace, who is the first ever programmer. She teaches courses as well. And what we're hearing from people taking these courses is they often like to learn from these historical celebrities see them come to life and teach courses. The other option we have is the regular teacher can teach the class, but every one hour or something or every 15 minutes, you can have Ada Lovelace show up and ask questions. Kind of makes things a bit more interesting. So besides the avatar teachers, our AI automatically creates beautiful looking slides, which look like a designer created them just based on scanning the text and creating the slides. And the video is automatically generated as well. And one key part of our uh, whole experience is we don't want just an instructor talking to the students continuously because it's one-sided flow of information from the teacher to the student. We think good teaching is interactive. So our AI automatically comes up with questions that it asks every five or 10 minutes. And so the student feels a break in the monotony and the student can test his sort of knowledge as well in between. It's sort of a one-stop shop to take a PDF format or a textbook and turn it into a full video course with slides, with assessments, with auto-generated avatar teacher, which could be historical celebrity, or it actually could be a version of the teacher themselves, which I want to ask you about. And a full set of videos, so it sort of can happen automatically. It is a really mind-bending technology. It's very exciting to hear about using generative AI. I wanted to ask you, you mentioned, I've seen Sacagawea on the website and Charles Babbage and Ada Lovelace, but you also can generate custom avatars that look like the instructors of the course or look like any person. Tell us how that works. Yeah, so the way that works is the instructor takes a bunch of selfies of themselves and then they send the selfies to us. And once they've sent us the selfies, we create the avatar of the instructor. Normally, we use this tool called Amazon Recognition to see how accurate the avatars are. And many smartphones use Amazon Recognition for Face ID right now. And typically, we get like a 98% match when we use Amazon Recognition for our avatars. So it, the position of the eyes and nose and mouth are almost exactly the same as the real person. And so with my avatar, it has a 98% score and people say it does look like me. (laughs) And one of the cool things about having my avatar teach a class is I don't have to worry about ums and ahs when I say something. 
my avatar speaks perfectly. It can speak in whatever accent I want it to. It can speak with American accent or a British accent or an Indian accent, whatever I choose to use. And I don't have to worry about looking good for camera. In fact, my <laughs> avatar, I fed it photos from a year back when I was slimmer and I was getting more exercise. So, and so uh, I put the best version of me out there and that never hurts. So it's a fun thing, creating your own out there. So one thing we heard from some of the professors at Coursera was that one of the main reasons they wanted to make Coursera courses was to leave a legacy. They had maybe had been teaching a course on campus for many years and they wanted the course to live on beyond them, even if they were retiring. And it seems like there's a really interesting use case for this as well, where you can get teachers or professors to be able to take their work and save it for posterity at their best. They get, you choose exactly what age they want to be for that course. Uh, have you gotten any use cases like that? Yeah, we have some teachers. Teachers love creating their own avatars and putting that content out there. And it's so easy to update a course as well. And the, there are some fields like AI, which moves so quickly. And it's hard for professors to keep updating their videos all the time. Here, you just have to edit some text and you have an updated version of the course. So we have gotten interest from a whole lot of professors for creating the avatars and putting that content out there. That's a great use case to keep courses up to date as the content changes. And I can imagine a sort of a hybrid course with some live videos and some videos that are very topical made through AI and that are consistently updated and you can continue to add them. I'm just spitballing here, but there's a really interesting use case of keeping the course up to date and continually adding more material without needing to bring anybody back into a studio or change anything. Yeah. And the other thing it does is there are some professors who are celebrities in different universities. Somehow the celebrity professors are the busiest and (laughs) they don't have that and in front of cameras for hundreds of hours to record their video courses. Here with our staff, they just enter text and, you know, they don't have to spend so much time in front of the camera. It just gets done. So I think students can benefit from learning from some of these celebrity professors and our technology allows people to make that happen. Yeah. It makes me think of Masterclass where they, you know, they bring in these celebrities for one or two days to shoot the whole course and then they're never going to be able to access them again. And that could be a fun way to get a lot more time from a Steve Martin or, a, you know, a St. Vincent. I know that's not the core use case for, for Professor Jim, but there are celebrity professors as well. You know, you see Adam Grant on LinkedIn, everything he writes gets 10,000 likes and he has no, he writes books all the time. If he were to do a video course, his time would be very limited and it's a really interesting use case. So tell us how you got to the name Professor Jim. It seems like it's a tribute to an educator in your life. My PhD advisor's name is Professor Jim Mindel and he played an important role in my career. I remember I first came to the United States when I was age 20, almost a teenager, and it was a totally new country, and I was not very focused back then. And he kind of took me under his wing and kind of taught me about semiconductors and how to do research and just how to carry myself in the United States. And he passed away just before I started this company, so kind of named it in his honor and memory. And... And in general, everyone's had a professor gem in their life, a teacher or an instructor who 
made their life much better, who made them what they are. And it's really named in honor of that one influential teacher in your life who impacted it positively. Yeah, I love that. And I know the educators who listen to this podcast, that will resonate with them. The idea they may be that that educator for lots of people and they have educators in their own life who change their trajectories and we want to really give a testament to. You mentioned that the avatars that teach the classes can be based on anyone. And it begs, I think, a really interesting question about representation. You could have anybody teach any class, you could potentially have different teachers teaching different types of learners. You mentioned, you know, accents can change. You can change the race or gender of the avatars. Tell us a little bit about some of your thoughts about how people might use avatars in that way. Yeah, there's research out there which shows people often like to learn from people who look and sound like them. They feel more comfortable. uh, And Considering that with our technology, it's possible to have different role model figures, role model teachers who look different and who sound different. I'll give you one example. So my daughter is 10 years old and I had her sit through a class on programming. And the class was taught by Ada Lovelace, who was the first person to ever program a computer. And when my daughter sat through that class, She was like, I didn't know that the first ever programmer was a woman. And she told me it was quite inspiring. And so we are seeing more and more incidents like that, where people see role model figures and they're influenced in a certain direction. Similarly, one thing I've had some students say is we have some Indian American teachers in there as well. And people say, you know, hearing about their background and sitting through their classes it inspires them too. And so I think it's a pretty interesting thing. We can create avatars of role model figures from different communities and get them mentoring and helping students everywhere. So that's something I'm very, very excited about. Yeah, I agree. I know there's been some research and I don't want to miscite it. So I will just sort of point people to it. But I think the University of Michigan did some research on their Coursera classes where they taught the same classes with different gender instructors and showed that having female computer science professors had major impacts on the female learners in the course in terms of their outcomes and their perseverance in the course. I I don't want to cite numbers because I don't know them off the top of my head, but I think that representation is really important. And what's so interesting about Professor Jim is because everything is AI generated, you can have as many professors as you want, change their age, you can change their race, you can, you know, as you say, role models in their community, seventh graders could learn from a ninth grader professor, or a college student could learn from another college student, if that was going to be helpful for them, you could even have learners choose what teacher they would want. Have you seen any use cases like that so far? Yeah, so we've had different learners, they prefer different types of instructors. So it's a pretty controversial topic, okay? There's one school of thought which says people need to be comfortable with people who don't look like them and sound like them. So if someone talks with an accent and if a student has a teacher with an accent, you know, it broadens their worldview to spend time with someone with a different accent who's different and get used to it versus just sticking to teachers in their own community. So that's one point of view. There's another point of view in that Some people say, hey, if the teacher's got the same accent as the students comfortable with, they learn easier. 
or they feel more comfortable or they they see a role model figure. So we don't know what the right answer is there. But I think we have the ability to let students choose or universities choose what they want to do. So we provide that choice, whichever direction the university or student wants to go and it's up to them. Absolutely. And, and I think graduate students could have a real field day doing research with a product like this and being able to see different types of learners and different types of teachers and how they interact. It's so interesting. I wanted to ask a little bit about the business of Professor Jim. Your primary business model is B2B, where you're offering the ability to create these out-of-the-box video courses from PDFs or textbooks to other companies. Tell us a little bit about this B2B model and who, you know, your sort of profile of your business customers. Our customers are largely people who are textbook publishers or people who create online learning at scale. And so for textbook publishers, since Gen Z, there's a lot of surveys which indicate Gen Z prefers to learn through video. So many textbook companies are trying to figure out how to create videos and go to market with those videos. And we give them the opportunity to take all these hundreds of thousands of books they have and create courses out of them. So that's one easy use case where we are already seeing a lot of adoption. People are interested. And it's a new revenue stream for the textbook publisher as well, because if you think about it, Coursera has, what, 5,000 or 10,000 courses, market caps, several billion, I guess, more than a billion at least. And so a textbook publisher with top, 100,000 books in the catalog, can convert even a fraction of them into video courses. That's a new revenue stream, which they're not tapping into right now. So that's one use case. Uh, The other use case is there are people creating video courses at scale, like Udemy, Coursera, Udacity, a whole bunch of others as well. And with all those folks right now, the teachers often use homemade videos there. And those homemade videos, they're kind of hard because people don't look at the camera when they're talking. Often they don't have good lighting. And we just make the videos a lot more professional with our technology. And it saves a whole lot of cost and headaches for the people creating content. So those are the two main use cases for us. That makes a lot of sense. So people with enormous catalogs of text-based learning content that want to go into video courses or people who need to create many video courses and want to be able to use a tool that accelerates the process and professionalizes it in in a lot of different ways and allows courses to stay up to date. The use case you mentioned earlier, which is very important, especially for technology courses, you know, as the new version of Python comes out or the new version of React comes out instead of Going back to the drawing board and reshooting the whole course, there are ways to keep it up to date. It makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, it's really exciting to see. You've mentioned Gen Z and how they prefer video content a couple of times, and I think that's very poignant. It's interesting to me. So the form factor of the videos that Professor Jim makes right now looks like online courses. They're sort of, it's an avatar with a slide behind them. I'm curious if you see in the future some different video formats. Could they make TikTok videos? You know where I'm going with this. Could you take an article and, and, and make it into something that is really designed for a tween? How, how do you think about that kind of thinking? We are looking at the TikTok format and we're looking at ways to uh, create really short videos for TikTok. So we believe there are some simple ways to do that where we can take snippets of a textbook 
and convert it into TikTok videos. So that was a very good question, by the way. <laughs> I think a little bit about the uh, John and Hank Green who do the Crash Course channel on YouTube, and they make these incredible educational YouTube videos. But if they were to digitize themselves and be able to make a hundred thousand videos, could be pretty amazing empire of learning. And obviously, TikTok is where every kid is right now. Yeah, that's exciting to think about. I'm really looking forward to seeing that kind of format. Let's talk a little bit about open source content. You know, one of the things that you do that's very interesting is you take Wikipedia content or OpenStax content or any kind of open content. And because that's in the public domain already, you can convert that into video courses and actually put it in a form factor that's more digestible. How have you been thinking about that process and what are your plans in the future for it? Yeah, that's something we are very interested in. There's a lot of online text content out there. And one of our focus areas right now is taking some of that online text content and converting it into video. And we want to provide it for free to folks. There's so many people out there who could use high-quality video content and take video courses. And we believe we can make a big impact on the world, make the world a better place by providing you know, high quality videos for free when the source is an open uh, piece of content. So we're already providing seven courses for free on our website. Just go to profgym.com slash courses.html and you can see seven courses we provide for free on Python and AI and all that. And with time, we'll convert more and more open textbooks into videos and provide them for free there as well. So I think that's a pretty important trend you'll see more and more of. Yeah, it makes sense. And the fact that you can auto-generate assessments and quiz questions is also a very powerful tool when it comes to open source content. I've always wondered if there's a, a business just in taking Wikipedia and making quizzes out of it so that people can actually measure what they're learning and Wikipedia and I feel like you're right on the verge of that already. That's obviously a tiny piece of what you do, but it feels like it's right there. You can say, oh, you just read the Wikipedia page about Dua Lipa. Now do a quiz to see if you actually know what you learned about Dua Lipa or whatever you're interested in. And wouldn't it be exciting if Dua Lipa asked the questions herself? There you go. You just took that to a whole new level. Absolutely. That would be incredible. And the way you think about this video content is so interesting because, you know, we've seen the internet, you know, change everybody's life and mobile phones change everybody's life over the last 20 and 30 years. But the transfer from text content, from the internet being primarily text to being pretty much primarily video, especially for younger generations, has really been over the last five to 10 years, I think. You know, Facebook became mostly video, Instagram came in, TikTok came in, YouTube went from, you know, I think when YouTube started, it was like based on Flickr. And then it's it became, you know, this monolith that, you know, changed the whole world. How do you think about, you know, video as a format? I know you're a father as well. You're seeing your own kids. Even beyond the research, what do you think is sort of the power of video as a learning tool? Yeah, so uh, things have evolved, like you mentioned. The 90s internet was largely text-based. And then we went to, even when you look at social platforms, initially they were largely text-based. And then we went to images with Instagram. And then we went to video with TikTok. The path forward beyond video, video will be promising the next five to 10 years, I would imagine. Now, 
And one of the reasons why video has taken off is one, it's more engaging and immersive. And two, because cell phone bandwidth, cell phone speeds have improved to a level where you can stream video at pretty good quality very quickly nowadays. And as bandwidth improves more and more, I think you're going to start seeing more and more 3D content. That's why Meta and Mark Zuckerberg, they're betting big on 3D and VR and AR because it's the natural progression, right? When you go from text to images to video, uh, the next step after that is 3D content. And so Meta, uh, I guess they're competing with TikTok. TikTok's really changed the world with video and they don't want to miss the boat with 3D, which is the next frontier. And so they're investing in that. So that's how I see it going. Video itself, we are still in the early days of it. You're starting to see some video. I think you'll you'll see more immersive video where it's two-way conversations versus just one person talking to another. So I think you'll see video with assessments embedded on it and things like that over the next Mm -hmm. five years. So do you see a future in which Professor Jim continues to evolve in a metaverse-based world and you can create a 3D avatar of any teacher or any celebrity to become your teacher? Yeah, so I spent a lot of my career working with this guy called Rich Page who co-founded a company with Steve Jobs and he built the first Macs at Apple with Steve. And Rich used to say, never talk about future products before you release them. And Steve used to (laughs) say, it when someone leaks something to the press about a future product. So I would comment on future products. I'm going to remember the lessons Rich gave me over the years. Uh, but <laughs> the metaverse will happen. I don't know whether it's five years or 10 years, but you will see some sort of augmented reality or virtual reality take hold over the next 10 to 15 years, I believe. We won't press you on uh, future business or future products, but I think there's definitely something interesting in there. So you've mentioned textbook publishers and people who make video courses at scale as some of your core business customers. We have seen through this podcast and through some of the companies that are rising, the rise of what we sometimes call the teacherpreneur. Educators who have spent you know years in the classroom and are now starting to take their experience out into the broader world. Companies like OutSchool or Teachers Pay Teachers. Do you think that that is a potential use case for Professor Jim, where a teacher can say, I want to turn myself into a video property and make 100 videos out of my curriculum, but I've never done a video course before? Yeah, we do allow that to happen. As long as someone creates videos at scale, we should be able to support them. And the reason why we decided to focus on videos at scale in the beginning is you want to get some traction in the market, you know, work with people who create a lot of content, make the product good. And after that, go after the smaller customers. So yeah, we should be able to help people. Some people we are able to help right away, like people who do things at scale. Our aim is in the next 12 months or so, we need to be able to support any teacher in America. They need to be able to take uh, stuff and create high-quality video content very, very easily and make the experience for their students really cool. Yeah. So one question I, I want to ask you, and I, I, if this is a curveball, just let me know, but one of the types of generative AI that's gotten a lot of attention recently is the type of AI that can turn text into images. 
the sort of mid journey and Dolly. I'm curious if you see any tangential use case or adjacent use case for education. You know, if you're taking a organic chemistry textbook and turning it into a video course and you need to create slides that show different kinds of cells and different kinds of interactions, obviously you can use any of the images that are already in the textbook, but is there a chance to create new images purely through AI? So we actually do that in our product. Right now, when we create slide decks, we take the text. We don't just use the images in the textbook. We find other images on the internet. We generate new images as well. And so we are using that already. So you came up with a neat idea. You didn't know we had it in our product. Then you came up with a oh, neat product. You're, you're ahead of me. Ahead of the code. 200 patents gives you some inventor. <laughs> you're, you're, you're thinking three steps ahead. I love it. That's really exciting. So What's so interesting about Professor Jim is that you're basically transferring from a what they call, you know, a cold to a hot medium, right? You're taking text, which is asks, you know, learners or readers to bring a huge amount to it. And they have to be able to picture everything in it and they have to be able to read it at a certain pace. And you're making it come to them. You're putting it in a pace. You're putting it coming. It's going to come out of the mouth of a, of a person. You're going to make the things that they're trying to let you picture into actual images that you can picture. And that seems really transformative for a lot of learners who don't like to read, frankly. I mean, it's it's becoming less and less common, sadly, I think, but true about learners. I imagine your goal is not to get people to read less. That's not obviously not the point about Professor Jim. Tell me a little bit about that transfer from Wikipedia text or a page of a textbook, which kids can find so intimidating to a sort of warm video with images. What does that feel like for learners? So there are actually learning studies out there which indicate this sort of multimedia content where text is combined with images and audio is more engaging for learners and it leads to better learning outcomes as well. Because if you imagine when you're reading, you're essentially just exercising your reading muscles, so to speak, But when you see one of our videos, you're essentially hearing things as well. You're reading things on the subtitles. You're reading summaries on the slides with chess text. You're seeing images on the slides as well. And you're seeing this avatar talking to the whole thing. So you're engaging a lot more than your reading muscles. You're engaging your hearing. you're You're engaging your eyes as well. And there are studies which show multimedia content does give better learning outcomes. Lots of papers have been published over the last 10 years. So it's natural to expect that. Uh, In terms of learning, besides the average person learns better through multimedia than text, but there are some people who have dyslexia and other ADHD and stuff like that. And for those people, converting textbooks into this sort of video content can be transformative. And as many as 10% of the people out there have some form of dyslexia is what we are hearing. So this could be transformative for those populations, I believe. That is a great point. I didn't even think about that side of the world, but that is hugely important. Yeah, and you have accessibility guidelines to for screen readers, for people who are visually impaired or uh, have attention disorders or reading disorders. So you're absolutely right. The ability to change the format can be completely transformational for a lot of learners. I want to ask one more question, and this is a little bit of a, an odd one, but this idea of these avatar 
based courses has just got my brain going in many different directions. So in the age of AI, one of the things that's starting to come up in the in the media, at least, is this feeling of, well, we may not have control over our image anymore in this sort of a deep fake world. I'm curious about how you think about if somebody has written a textbook for a textbook publisher and then says, you know what, I'll send you some selfies so that you can digitize me and I can deliver the content in the textbook. How does that relationship work in terms of future content? What does the textbook publisher, it seems like there's a whole legal interesting area there where the textbook publisher, do they own the right to make that professor say anything for the textbook publisher? It feels like there's some interesting ideas in there that yet to be discussed about how to protect your image if you're an instructor giving over your likeness to an avatar. I'm not a a lawyer by any means, but I'm curious, have you encountered any of that in some of your work with the publishers? Yeah. So in terms of privacy, that's something that's pretty important, okay? Uh, Because I'm seeing people misuse others' photos and morph them into all kinds of things. Some of them do it for fun. Some of them have more weird objectives, so to speak. So for our company, you know, it's pretty important for us to have good morals and do what's right more than what makes money. So from our point of view, the only people whose avatars we'll create are people who give us permission or if they've passed away, the estate needs to give us permission. Or the other option is if people have passed away more than 80 years back, then they don't have postmortem rights to publicity anymore. And if they're more than eight, if they passed away more than eighty years back, it you know people know they've passed away, so we can use their stuff. So if we we create Abraham Lincoln, there's apes all over the road on tax day, for example. Uh, uh, so <laughs> I, I don't think that hurts anyone. So that's our company policy. People either need to give us permission, or they should have passed away at least eighty years back, and it should be legally permissible. So in terms of copyright with publishers, so it all depends on the contract between the publisher and the author. If the author has copyright to that piece of content, the author can give us the content and allow us to use their avatar and teach a video course of it. If it's the publisher who's got the copyright, if you're going to use the avatar of the author, then the author needs to give permission. Otherwise, you know, it's not the right thing to do. So that that's our policy on that right now. Yeah, no, that that's a great answer. It makes a lot of sense. It's just a whole kind of the law that uh, you know I haven't. I think many people haven't thought much about. But that idea about if they're if it's if they've passed away more than eighty years ago, their sort of likenesses in the public domain, for lack of a better word, is really interesting. And I think that creates a lot of opportunity for educational options. What, 80 years ago now is 1940 or so, 1942. So anything before World War II is fair game, basically. (laughs) Really interesting. So we can create a whole lot of historical figures. New York has a postmortem right to publicity, which is somewhat different. Someone passed away in New York till the year 2000. You're allowed to use their likeness. So they changed the laws just recently. So different countries have different laws on these as well. This whole field of education is just so exciting. And I think seeing somebody with your background step into ed tech with such an innovative suite of ideas is 
thrilling for those of us who have been in there for a while. And I think it's going to accelerate the whole field. It's going to allow many different publishers and many different types of educators to make their content more accessible to more different types of learners with more representation than ever before. It's a really exciting innovation. So we always wrap up our interviews with two questions. And the first one is, what is a trend in the ed tech field that you've seen rising that you think our listeners should keep an eye on? Yes. So one thing I think we'll see more and more of is gamification of educational content. We're kind of doing that with our product by creating all these historical figures and teaching, but I see more and more games being used for ed tech purposes. Yeah. And you you mentioned the motivation, and I think it's very engaging and motivating to use game mechanics. We've had a few different guests on the show who do gamification or game-based learning, and they're you know, I think it's really starting to be ubiquitous in education. And and what is a resource? You know, you have such a deep background in so many different technical fields, as well as fields of, of AI and education. What's a resource that you would recommend for anybody who wants to go deeper into any of the topics we discussed today? Yeah, I would suggest people play with Unity and Unreal Engine, which allow you to create games easily and Try to make a few games for teaching some concepts yourself. That would be my recommendation. Yeah, that's a good suggestion. And and Unity and Unreal both also have fantastic educational resources and tutorials and ways for people to get involved because they know that there's more people coming in all the time. And that's a way to really get your hands on the sort of what it takes to model the type of educational tool and educational character and, uh, you know, avatar that we see in Professor Jim as well. Thank you so much, Dr. Deepak Sekar. You are doing incredible work and bringing an entire new tool set to all of us in EdTech to do what we all want to do, which is bring the best education to the most people. Thanks so much for sharing your story. ProfessorJim.com or ProfJim.com. It's P-R-O-F-J-I-M.com. And thanks for being here with us on EdTech Insiders. And thanks for having me. It's, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of EdTech Insiders. If you like the podcast, remember to rate it and share it with others in the EdTech community. For those who want even more EdTech Insider, subscribe to the free EdTech Insiders newsletter on Substack. Substack.